Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Welcome to part three in our series on why we must test prophets. We talked about how very important it is to ensure that a prophet is really sent from God. The Apostle John warns about false prophets and teachers. Jude warns us. Peter does the same. Even the Lord Jesus himself warns us again and again that false prophets and false teachers are among us and that believers have the responsibility to call them out, to identify them, to expose them, to resist them, and to prepare God's church or God's people to do the same. In my last message, I talked about the faithfulness test as one of the tests we can use to identify who is a true prophet and who is not. In this test, we were asking ourselves, is the prophet's teaching faithful to the teaching of Scripture that has already been once for all handed down to us? And so today, we will look at the second test, which is the fruit test. Now, the fruit test asks a question. How do these prophets live? How do they teach other people to live? Anyone who claims to be a prophet of God should demonstrate faithfulness to God in the way that he or she lives. And as we look at the teachings and the lives of prophets, you will notice that many of them do not line up with the teaching of scripture or the behavior that is expected of all those that follow Christ and honor him. And you will be able to see that there are actually differences between a true prophet and a false one. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah was a prophet when the nation of Babylon conquered Jerusalem and destroyed its temple. At the time, the religious establishment in Jerusalem was thoroughly corrupt. Its priests and so-called prophets were misleading the nation instead of teaching them the truth. Jeremiah wrote saying that both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. And he added that the royal court prophets in Jerusalem commit adultery and walk in lies. We find that in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 11 and verses 14. Prophets who encourage ungodly behavior by their teaching and their example are false prophets. And that's what we are saying by the fruit test. That by looking at the teaching and example or behavior of somebody who claims to be a prophet, you can tell whether he is from God or not. In the New Testament, Jesus gives the similar warning. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, he talks about false prophets who come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. Immediately after making that warning, Jesus told us how to identify such prophets. And he says that you will know them by their fruits. You can see that from Matthew chapter 7 from verses 15 to verse 20. The true prophet's fruits are good. The false prophet's fruits are certainly bad. False prophets will claim to do amazing things in God's name. But Christ says that in the final judgment, he will reject them as workers of lawlessness. They may claim to perform miracles, they may claim to cast demons, they may claim to heal the sick, but if they are not truly from God, 
At the end, Jesus will expose them as workers of lawlessness, and he will say, I never knew you. Now, what are some of those examples we can think of as we look at the fruit test? Now, in some of these examples, sometimes the situation is easy to see, but treated casually as if nothing is seriously wrong. For instance, we have a Ugandan prophet, Samuel Kakande, who claims to be a prophet of God, specializing in miracles, in prophecies, and deliverances. The synagogue church of all nations, the church that he oversees, is very popular across Africa. Unfortunately, he has so far been married not just two times or three, but five times and with no apologies. Now, at the very least, someone who says he's God's special messenger should meet the moral standards required for any simple pastor or elder as is given by the Apostle Paul, for instance, in First and Second Timothy and Titus. But you look at the life of Prophet Samuel Kakande, and it is in total contradiction to the expectations and standards that the Apostle lays out for Christian ministers. How can one be a true prophet and at the same time live a kind of life that very much contradicts the qualifications and expectations of a godly leader? But two, sometimes the situation is blatantly obvious. In 2016, for instance, a South African prophet known as Lethebo Labalago made headlines by spraying doom insecticide in the mouth and faces of the members of his congregation. Other South African prophets have since abused their followers for publicity by making them eat rat poison, eat snakes, claiming they will miraculously turn into chocolate. You may have heard of those who were asked to eat grass and drink petrol, others by walking and jumping on them, riding on their members like horses or even punching them. Some of the things such prophets are doing to their congregations are too shameful even to describe here. But guess what? They are happening. Unfortunately, such false demonstrations of power and authority really shame and dehumanize their victims, something that a true man of God would never even dare do. But we are seeing a surge in our generation of men and women who claim to be prophets and prophetesses but the things they do not only contradict biblical teaching, but shame and dehumanize their church members in a manner that a man of God would never expect to behave or do. This should remind us of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about those who are controlled by false servants of Christ. He says that you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you. If anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face, Apostle Paul is expressing concern about the members of the congregation at the church at Corinth who tolerated the abuses of the false teachers in their midst. And of course he reminds them this not as something to celebrate, but the one, one that is a very sad scenario and one that the Corinthian believers should do everything possible to stand against and to expose. On the other side, instead, he calls them to carefully consider the love and the humble servanthood that Paul writes about as he writes to the Thessalonians. Listen to what he tells the Thessalonian believers. Our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, 
But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not intending to please people, but to please God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way, we had a fond affection for you, and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship. It was by working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, that we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and the glory. First Thessalonians chapter 2 from verses 3 to verses 12. The Apostle Paul paints a picture that is very contradictory to what we are seeing demonstrated by the prophets and prophetesses of our day. He paints a picture of a godly servant that lives by example, that modeled what true Christian character looks like. A servant of God that is not greedy, that is not proud, that is not self-centered, but works for the service of the saints, for the building up of the saints, and for the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul says, that is what a true prophet essentially needs to be looking like. But number three, we should also note that sometimes the situation is hidden from public view, but eventually becomes known. Now, for instance, we have an example of Joseph Smith, the first prophet and founder of the Mormon church, who secretly married about 40 women. At least 11 of them were already married to other men, and two of the youngest ones were just 14 years old. The full extent of his adultery was only revealed long after he was killed by an angry mob. Now today in numerous cases reported in newspapers across Africa, so many men of God are using their claimed status as prophets to secretly abuse their followers sexually or swindle them out of their money and property in God's name, threatening the victims with divine judgment and curses if they resist. They will even take the Bible completely out of context to cause fear. For instance, you've heard of some who have misquoted Psalm 105, which says, Touch not my anointed one, and do my prophets no harm. The verse is talking about the ancient kings and patriarchs of Israel, of course. It does not mean you can't question or resist a false teacher or anyone else who tries to lead you into sin. But now, God's word requires leaders in the church to be shepherds who protect the sheep, not wolves that use and devour them. The Apostle Paul instructed elders to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And we find that in Acts chapter 20 verse 28. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 2, the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy, an important church elder, to treat younger women with all purity as one would your own sisters. Paul warns all believers, saying that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness in deceitful scheming. As he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 5 verse 14. And I want you to remember as we look at all these examples and warnings. That God's warnings in scripture are for your protection. They are not just to scare you or to give you the latest update on who a false prophet is. But they are for your protection so that you will stand on guard. That you will be diligent. That you will be on the alert. Lest you be deceived by false prophets that characterize our age today. Now, by way of conclusion, we all can agree that false prophets have become a plague, especially across Africa. They leave pregnant girls, broken marriages, divided and devastated congregations, and disillusioned Christians to pick up the pieces of their lives, while unbelievers openly mock the gospel and the ignorance of believers. But as we have seen, all of this harm and heartbreak is unnecessary and avoidable. If we will only faithfully employ the clear warnings that God in his mercy has given us, and we fix our eyes upon Jesus, not the prophet, not the messengers, but upon Jesus himself, not only will we be safe and alert, but we will also guard and protect our loved ones from the same danger, from the same error of false prophets that seek to devour many in our time. Now, next time we will look at the third test, which is the fulfillment test. In the meantime, I remind you to download our free tract, Four Ways You Can Tell True from False Prophets, at www.agfa.org. You will find it in the resource section under articles. But you can also download our tract called Sisters, Don't Be the Next Victim, looking at how false prophets and teachers take advantage of unsuspecting young women. It teaches you how to identify and avoid fake men of God who use their prophetic claims to exploit and abuse women and girls in our church today. May God bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.